I was a food editor and a recipe developer in magazines for over 10 years. So I was in the food world. I knew how to develop recipes. And then I had a baby and she turned one and she was very opinionated. So at that time, there were not a lot of resources for that specific age. You're listening to the Mindful Parenting Podcast, episode number 418. Today, we're talking about Toddler Dinnertime SOS with Amy Palangian. Welcome to the Mindful Parenting Podcast. Here, it's about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. At Mindful Parenting, we know that you cannot give what you do not have, and when you get calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm your host, Hunter Clark-Fields. I help smart, thoughtful parents stay calm so they can have strong, connected relationships with their children. I've been practicing mindfulness for over 25 years. I'm the creator of the Mindful Parenting course, and I'm the author of the best-selling book, Raising Good Humans, a mindful guide to breaking the cycle of reactive parenting and raising kind, confident kids, and now raising good humans every day. 50 simple ways to press pause, stay present, and connect with your kids. Hey, you're hearing correctly. We've changed the name to the Mindful Parenting Podcast. I am super excited about this as it more accurately reflects what this is. I hope you are too. Welcome back. I'm so glad you're here. If you're new, it's very special. Welcome to you. So glad you're here. But listen, if you haven't done so yet, make sure you're subscribed. Hit that subscribe button. And if you have ever gotten any value from this podcast, please, please, please do me a favor. Go over to Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating and review. It helps the podcast grow more. And it will take like 30 seconds. I greatly appreciate it from the bottom of my heart. In just a moment, we are going to be sitting down with Amy Pelangian, the creator of Yummy Toddler Food, the go-to resource for busy parents to create meals families swear by. Her expertise was honed over a decade of experience working in print and digital media as the lifestyle director of Family Fun Magazine, food editor with Better Homes and Gardens, and the deputy editor for Ready Made Magazine. And we're going to talk about toddlers and family meals and how to make it easier and all of that for our families. I mean, because these toddlers are so picky, right? We want to we wanna help them out, get them in there, get that nice family meal habit for everybody. So that is what this conversation is all about. And I know if you have a toddler... You don't have a lot of time to sit around listening to me doing this intro, so we are going to dive right in. Join me at the table as I talk to Amy Palangian. Are you struggling with kids fighting, yelling, and more despite listening to the podcast and reading all the books? Parenting can be so overwhelming and exhausting. You know, I see you and I have something that will help. Mindful Parenting SOS. I'm offering free live mindful parenting sessions starting Monday, May 6th. Basically, live mindful parenting lessons that you normally have to pay for. So if you struggle with getting your kids to listen, tantrums, misbehavior, and feeling the guilt of yelling at your kid, then you should definitely get your spot in Mindful Parenting SOS. I'll be there to answer your questions in person, and if you can't make it, we will have replays available. 
Don't wait to get your spot now. It's free. Go to mindfulmamamentor.com slash SOS to register. That's mindfulmamamentor.com slash SOS. I can't wait to see you there. Amy, welcome to the Mindful Mama podcast. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you for having me. Okay, so we're definitely going to talk about food and toddler food, but <laughs> you, you're, you're kind of obsessed with toddler food. How did you get so interested in, in this topic? Um, so when it's, it was kind of a combination of factors. So my, I was a food editor and a recipe developer in magazines for over 10 years. So I was in the food world. Um, I knew how to develop recipes and then I had a baby and she turned one and she was very opinionated. And at that time, like she's 11 now. So at that time there were not a lot of resources for that specific age when there starts to be more opinions, there starts to be more food refusal um, but they still can't chew everything. And so it's not like, quote unquote, kid food recipes are necessarily the same or appropriate for toddlers. So I started it as a hobby, as a lot of bloggers did, like way back in the day, and just started putting recipes online. Um, and I actually did it for four years before I knew what I was doing. So <laughs> I had others' jobs and I kept working in magazines and and then there came a point when I um, I was like, I'm spending so much time on this. I have to figure out how to turn it into my job also because all mm -hmm. the magazines kept closing. So I knew like I needed to be able to do this as my work um, and my income. So I like spent a year like learning how to be a blogger. And um, thankfully at that time, Instagram, like there were no, there was not a video component that I also had to learn. So I was able to just focus on like how to build a website and then the rest of it sort of came later. All right. All right. Cool. And were your, um, were your parents really into food? Like did you eat interesting food growing up or what was kind of the food upbringing? <laughs> um, so I'm my mom's side of the family is a large Italian family. And uh, so every family dinner or holiday was like excessive Italian food. Everyone is very into it. Um, there was a meat market in my family. Like one of my uncles still works in food. Like my other uncle is an amazing cook. So there's, there are people who cook at home um, in my family, which I was surrounded by. So like by the time I was, I think I was like 19, like I cooked Thanksgiving for like 23 people like I just was, wow like I was the kid like in my high school when we would be all like rent a house at the beach like I would be the one making dinner making sure that everyone like ate before they misbehaved like, so wow. that was just sort of always something that I was interested in oh my goodness great all right well your creds are established family <laughs> roots in yeah. all the food that's amazing that's great so what are the top five pantry and freezer staples that we need to make mealtime easier. So I'm going to give you mine and because what they are is probably going to just vary based on what your family really relies on. So in my family, it's pasta, beans, like we go through a ton of beans, um, like nut butters and seeds. Mm -hmm. And do you want five of each or five total? <laughs> no, no, no. It'll, um, like we always have eggs. And we always have frozen veggies and, mm. you know, there's like other staples that we incorporate. But I try to keep like the components of the meals I know we eat all the time 
on hand and then vary them based on produce that's on sale or something that looks good at the farmer's market or what we have in the garden so that we can be like a little bit flexible, but always kind of have like our go-tos. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I could see that with like the frozen vegetables because you can just throw them in. But I remember at least for like, so my kids are older now, but like when they were toddlers, my whole like plan was uh, I, I, I sort of plotted about it. it was like when they were hungry before meals and the snacks, I would give them veg. That's when I would give them like lots of vegetables. So mm-hmm. I had like I would like defrost chopped up little carrots or peas or whatever. Like I would give them all these like little vegetables and chopped up vegetables before dinner. So that way I didn't worry about them eating their vegetables. They would just eat then because they were hungry. Right. And then then they would have it in their meal. Yeah. yeah, totally. And if you're like, like often if I'm chopping vegetables for a stir fry or um, something that's going to be cooked, like I will pull out some of the raw bell peppers or carrots and just like put them in a bowl on the table or on the counter because I know like someone will grab them. So mm-hmm. that is like an easy way to just sort of keep those foods around and accessible, um, especially when they're hungry. I mean, it, like it's going to also depend. I'm thinking about like my youngest, like he just goes into the pantry at this moment. Yeah, yeah. Like, takes takes what he wants. Um, but that is a great option also. It was so much easier when they were toddlers because you could yeah. control so much right. more. Like I had such control then. Like now my only control comes in the form of, you know, what we buy because my daughter like makes she loves to one of my daughters who's 13 loves to cook and she makes her all she'll like do this elaborate like stir fry with ramen noodles and a whole thing wow. at lunch. Yeah. And won't share it with any of us. <laughs> You're like, we're all like, that smells amazing. Should we have some? <laughs> okay. So one of the things that I've now come, you know, at the side where my kids are 13 and 16, I know that how valuable it was for us to have like had a family meal time all the time. And we have family meals together. We insisted on that, of course, when they were little. And we ate the same food. And now these family mealtimes are just invaluable, right? Like they, we talk, it's fun. We have a great time. We have, you know, it's really a connecting factor um, Mm -hmm. for, you know, when you have teens, they are often doing their own thing and we're doing our own thing and things like that. So what are some realistic tips on how to serve one meal to a family to ensure everyone kind of winds up with a meal they enjoy? Because I know that I've seen like, and also I've seen sort of on the opposite end of the, the of what happens, like I've seen um, parents who are friends of mine who have kids who they gave them separate meals when they were younger because they were picky or they didn't want what the adults were eating or the adults wanted to eat separately. And now they don't have this, like they are very disconnected lives. They don't have this like gathering point and it's, it's kind of sad in, in some ways. So Seeing that importance of the family meal, how can we get something that everyone everyone likes? So a couple ideas would be um, if you're making something that like typically is all of the foods mixed together, like keep one part of it separate or put all the elements on like a big tray. Um, I've got these like round um, trays that if I were making like like last night we had burrito bowls. So I just put like mm-hmm. everything on the big tray and then. It was like lettuce and cheese and rice and I forget what there was like six different things. And then everyone can just take what they want and make their own meal um, and it doesn't have to look the same. 
So that is one option. In the my cookbook, Dinnertime SOS, there's a bowls chapter which with lots mm-hmm. of ideas that are like easily mixed together or deconstructed, but with like yummy sauces and toppings and things. So the adults can make them more flavorful if they want to. Um, another option would be to sort of add to a main dish. So if you have like a lasagna, for example, like add a Caesar salad and some chopped apples or add um, some applesauce and some sliced cheese, like add some things that you're not cooking so that you're sort of making sure that there are other options for people on the table because you could have salad and apples and be like perfectly full depending on your hunger level, especially with toddlers. Like you never know how hungry they're going to be. Some nights they might eat air. Some nights they might need two dinners. So um, I try to think about those like no cook sides that I can slot in there or like roasted frozen broccoli is like a super easy side dish to make. So that's another option. And then I think too, like you don't have to eat the same food at a meal to enjoy each other's company. Like you Mm. could get takeout and sit at the Mm. same table and make sure your Mm -hmm. devices are away and have that connection. Or you could make sure that like Saturday morning breakfast is the time that everyone in the family is together if your weekday schedule is too chaotic. Or maybe you're just home with one kid. And that doesn't mean that you can't connect that way. Like it doesn't have to be sort of all or nothing. So I would say also like look for opportunities, have those family moments, even if they're not like quote unquote perfect. Stay tuned for more Mindful Mama podcasts right after this break. Parenting can be loud, stressful, and rough some days. And we want to be able to go to bed and take care of ourselves in a really beautiful way. And that's why I love that Cozy Earth is a sponsor of the podcast. Cozy Earth offers bedding products that will transform your sleep. The bedding is temperature regulating, which is like a huge sleep benefit, has superior softness, incredible fabric, and incredibly high quality. All the products come with a 10-year warranty. Truly, incorporating Cozy Earth products into your self-care routine can enhance your sleep quality and your overall wellness. You deserve to treat yourself to the ultimate in comfort and indulgence after all the day's craziness of parenting with cozy earth bedding and sleepwear. And it's a way to prioritize your self-care and sleep health. You deserve it. And here's an exclusive Mother's Day offer just for our listeners. Use the code MINDFUL35 for 35% off. That's awesome. At CozyEarth.com. That's coupon code MINDFUL35 for 35% off at CozyEarth.com. As parents, we know that there are so many things in life that we have to compromise on. But when it comes to your health, there is no compromise. So don't go back to that doctor that doesn't really listen to you. Instead, check out ZocDoc. This is a place where you can find and book doctors who will make you feel comfortable, listen to you, and prioritize your health And you can search by location, availability, and insurance. So literally, there's no compromises here because with ZocDoc, you've got more options than you actually know about. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. 
the typical wait time to see a doctor booked on ZocDoc is between just 24 and 72 hours. That's it. You can even score same-day appointments. Go to ZocDoc.com mindful and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's ZocDoc, Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash mindful. ZocDoc.com slash mindful. Yeah, yeah. I remember having to eat everything on my plate and having to like sort of sit there. Right. And my mom, she boiled summer squash. It was horrible. Like boiled summer squash. Was, I mean, we will all recognize how bad that <laughs> But like, so I was like, oh, and I had to sit there until I ate it or I just went to bed eventually. Well, and there's a lot of research that shows that forcing kids to eat things does, is not the way to help them like it later in life. It's like has the total opposite effect. So sort of the less you can have pressure and the more you can have um, an environment that just allows everyone to sort of be like kind of the, like the better in the long run for everyone's relationship with food. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, thinking about those dinnertime rules is challenging. I mean, we had a rule because we wanted, we knew like, you know, it takes a lot of taste. No one likes coffee the first time they like drink coffee, right? No one likes beer. Then these are things that people love, right? As it is. Um, we knew it takes a lot of like touch points for you to like something or for kids to like something. So we had a rule in our house that was, you don't have to eat it, but you must taste it. Even spit it out if you want, but just taste the things, right? Like just get used to tasting everything. And we would say, what if you saw that? brown thing on your plate and you had never tasted chocolate and you would have never known. So this is why you just kind of taste everything. What do you what do you think of something like that where we're really encouraging people? And I guess it kind of might depend on how that's implemented, I guess. Like I, I think it depends on what your goal is and also the personality of the child and your anxiety at the table. Um, mm -hmm. because that can play out a lot of different ways. That can feel like pressure to some kids, and it can make the situation worse. That can feel mm -hmm. really fun to some kids. Sometimes parents go into that with the goal of like, this is how I'm going to get my child to eat this food. And if you shift that to this is how I'm going to help my child have more fun at dinner, or this is how I'm going to mm -hmm. help my child learn what this food is, um, I want them to know what it looks like. I want them to know what color it is so they can identify it later. That's a very different approach. I have children who can't, like that is like a no-fly zone. Like it does not help. But what I do do is um, like playful ways to eat the food or interact with the food. So sometimes um, like my four-year-old, interestingly, after having two kids, he's like the most unpredictable one. So, but he responds really well to eating foods in novel ways. So he will often eat something off of like a baking tray or out of the air fryer basket or with like last night we sat down with that burrito bowl dinner and that is not his favorite meal. Like he does, he basically likes cheese. Like he doesn't like any of the foods. So I got a pair of mini tongs and I put, made sure he had like two things that he liked and he happily ate his meal like one tiny piece of food at a time with his tongs. Um, he like, but like a big serving fork is another option or like Yum. kid chopsticks. Um, sometimes I let him feed me. Like if we're just being like really silly, like ways that, that just kind of 
signal that like something different is happening here and we're going to explore something. And it's not harder. It's like literally just grabbing like the bigger fork than usual. Um, mm. Like a kid has to be like at least like two and a half for those things to work to have like the. Mm. Um, but for like a three and a four year old, that can be really fun. So I think it really just depends. Yeah, my daughter still remember I had gotten the idea from somewhere to do like eat like a pirate night where we <laughs> we didn't eat, have any utensils so we just oh that's their fingers fun. yeah and they were like this is gross and everything by the end but it was very memorable I mean I that's for sure you know we're just pulling hunks of chicken off you know and, <laughs> and that was great okay so we can we're trying to kind of what I'm hearing from you Amy is that we're, we we want to. Like over the pressure, we don't want to like be trying to get our kids to eat stuff necessarily. So our focus should be on basically enjoying mealtimes. What are we aiming for when we're thinking about like kind of the relationship with kids and food? Because I, I would think I want them to eat lots of different things. I want them to be open to trying things. What do you say is like the sort of uh, a healthy goal for parents of toddlers to be aiming for when it comes to mealtimes? So for me, um, and this may vary depending on your circumstance, but for me, it's I want to have mealtimes that are as little drama as possible. And there's already going to be drama, even if you're not like focusing on what everyone's eating. So the less we focus on it, what everyone is actually putting in their mouths, the more we can focus on each other and talking to each other and talking about our day or telling jokes, the more I'm able to eat my food. Um, the mm. more I'm able to sit down and eat my food and not be preoccupied by what someone else is doing. I want my kids to be capable with the technical skills of eating so that they and also confident in their relationship to food so that when they get to school or they're at a friend's house or they're with a relative and they are sitting at a table, they can have sort of basic table manners but they can also advocate for themselves if they need to. So if they're in a situation where someone is telling them, you need to clean your plate before you have dessert, I want them to have the confidence to say, I'm full and I don't want any more of this food. I'll have dessert later. Or I don't like whatever this is. In my family, we don't have to eat food we don't like. Or I'm not comfortable with that. I'm going to go ask my mom. Or like, you know, there are all sorts of rules that they're going to encounter sort of everywhere that they go. And I want them to feel secure enough in their relationship with their food to know that they don't necessarily have to do what other adults are telling them. Because a lot of the times, what other adults may tell you to do with food is very arbitrary. And it mm. may not be true. Like there's a lot of things that come up with the way that food is talked about, sometimes in school, sometimes just with other people, with um, sort of the way that we're trying to sell kids on food. And I just always want my kids kind of to have the, the autonomy to be able to say no. Like when my son went to daycare or like his new his preschool that he's in now, like on his first day, there were peas on the menu. He does not like peas. Like it is not like he doesn't want peas. He has like a neutral relationship with peas. Like he doesn't like them. Like he doesn't like the texture. He's never liked them. And so they put some on his plate because that is sort of their policy. And he was like, no, thank you. Um, and the teacher went through the what they do in their classroom, and he was like, I said, no, thank you. I don't like peas. And then he had to say it a third time. And so, like, that was the thing he told me when he got in the car. And I was like, good for you for making sure that your teacher understood that you, like, didn't, you don't enjoy that food. 
And so then I followed up with her and was like, I, I understand that there was, a, you know, an exchange about peas. And I just want you to know that it's always, always allowed to tell you what he doesn't want to eat. And we trust that you're providing him with a variety over the course of the week and that he has enough food. Um, hmm. So that's sort of where I am. So like to your point of wanting them to eat a lot of foods, I just zoom out and look mm. like what like over their childhood, over this week. Are they being exposed to a variety of foods, which can include seeing other foods? It can include seeing foods in a book. It can include watching a cooking show. It can involve like watching me eat something, going to the store and just talking about foods. It's like, how can I build that literacy so that when they're 13 or 16, like they know what foods are and they can kind of decide. Um, so I'm not, I just feel like we're we're sort of focusing too much on specific uh, aspects of eating and we're letting like the big picture just get a little bit lost. I mean, if we think about like how we ate as kids and how we ate now, it's probably not the same. Like I didn't have a smoothie until I was like in college. Like it just was not a food that was around when I was a kid. And I think our expectations for how kids are supposed to eat these days is very, very different and very new and just comes with a lot of pressure. Yeah, I could see that. I mean, I love that idea of like the zooming back and the perspective taking, because in a lot of ways, it this also reminds me of, you know, what our expectations with, you know, everyday interactions. Like, you know, I in mindful printing, I teach communication. We don't want to be really focused in on like, what did your child say to their sibling in this moment, right? In this mm -hmm. interaction, like that, if you zoom out to the big picture, where does that fit into the big picture, right? Of right. what are the interactions like over the week, over the month, over the year, right? It really matters, you know, very little, like one little thing, right? Or that happened. And um, I'm hearing you kind of say the same thing for food that we should just you know, if our child has like an all noodle meal for one night, not the end of the world, you know, <laughs> or even if they go through like a phase where all they want is noodles, like that probably will be a phase. And if it's not a phase, you can get help with a specific issue. Or if like I people, I often get the question of like, how do I know when I need to get help with my child's mm -hmm. eating? And I mm -hmm. think it's like whenever you feel like meals are too stressful for you to enjoy your child. I, I kind of think mm -hmm. like that's, it's not like a magic formula. It's just like if you are too stressed out, I think that's when you get help. But it is very common for kids to have like favorite foods for a period of time and then they move on. It's like when you buy blueberries for, a to for many toddlers, they want to eat the entire pint in like two and a half minutes and then they want another pint and then another one and then they don't want a blueberry for 10 days or a month or three months. Like it's not um, kids don't eat like the charts with like different food groups on them. Like they don't eat like that. They'll eat like one food group for breakfast and one food group for snack and they might eat two for lunch. Like it's not um, we kind of uh, like have taken away the intuitiveness of it a little bit. So it's funny. I guess that's almost like if we were going back and hunter gatherer species, you know, that's right. probably how people would eat. Like you'd yeah. sit there at that blueberry bush. You'd be having you'd blueberries for breakfast, right? Yeah, you'd eat all the blueberries. Good. Yeah. It makes more sense to do that in some ways than to have like seven different foods in one thing, you know. Um, huh, that's interesting. Yeah, it makes me think of my brother. He, 
He would like only eat French fries. I think my dad called him Mr. French Fry or something. And <laughs> and then he went through like a plain peanut butter sandwich phase. And I was a peanut butter and jelly girl. And I was like, what is wrong with you? You want that paste in your mouth? Yeah. Um, but he does eat a variety of foods. Now. <laughs> so just, yeah. you know, as an adult, he eats many, many foods. Okay. So one of the things we know is that toddlers can, you know, waste food, right? Like you give them this food and then it's like all over the floor or something, right? So how can we minimize food waste and reduce grocery bills without kind of sacrificing our foods that we love? Um, so to start with, like try to mostly eat the same foods um, so that you're not, this is like, I don't ever buy family packs of snacks because I know that if I buy the bigger package, some like they'll just decide they don't like that snack anymore. And then if I don't like it, <laughs> we're like stuck. So, um, so like think that through. Like, is Costco really helping with some of this or is it making it worse? Um, but if you're mostly eating the same foods, then if your child doesn't like it, then you can eat it. You're not going to have food that's like sitting in the pantry. So that's one option. That doesn't mean that like every meal has to be the same. It's just like like the mm. core staples. And then when you're having meals, start with smaller portions so that there's just less opportunity for for the food to be wasted. And then just make sure that the child knows that they have access to additional food if they need it. Um, that may not work if you have a child who is feels like they need more, like if Often in like foster situations, if there's a foster kid, they might need to feel like they have enough food on their plate. So just sort of check in with your personal situation. Um, and then sometimes you can put uh, like a, a discard bowl or like a no thank you bowl someplace specific for your child to put the food they don't want so that instead mm -hmm. of throwing it, they can just put it in this bowl and then there would be the opportunity that someone else could eat it or that you could serve it at a different meal. And then I like, depending on the food, I do repurpose a lot of food, which since you're serving it to the same people in your family, it's not like, I'm not like taking like bitten food and then like giving it to someone else. Like I'm talking if there's like a half of a container of strawberries and then there's some blueberries or some other thing, like I might turn that into like a sauce for yogurt or like into a little fruit cup. If you dice up leftover fruit, you can put like lemonade or apple juice um, as the liquid and make a fruit cup, which might mm. be more appealing to your kids than just like the same cut up strawberries again. Um, and like if you have a half of a leftover banana, just stick it in the freezer and then like mm. save it up until you, I mean, there's a thousand things you can make with frozen bananas. So there's a lot of things that you can do that way also. Uh, for years, I froze my bananas with the peels on it and I never used them and then... <laughs> Yeah, that would make to you feel my bananas. I was like, and I found out that my my in laws, my my not my in laws, my brother um, and his family, they were like not freezing their bananas. I was like, oh my gosh, you have to freeze your bananas. Just peel them first. Like this yeah. is like my big tip of the day. One detail, but first, yeah, important detail. <laughs> um, okay, I love I love all these tips, and then thinking about prep time. Like it sounds like that could be a lot of work. Toddlers are a lot of work. And we know that we want, you know, that toddler age is that like, I do it phase and they want to be involved mm -hmm. in everything. We know that we want to involve them, right? So that it's not like we're teaching them the lesson that, you know, they don't 
that right. we work for them and they have special VIP status watching their iPad <laughs> while we work in the kitchen for them, right? Like we don't want to give them that lesson inadvertently, right? So how can we manage like preparing food with a toddler and also like making it healthy? Any idea, any tips or advice for that? Um, I think like look for ways that you can take shortcuts before sort of before you get to the point when you're having to prepare food. So that could look like if you like just think about like what are the things that you don't like doing? Maybe it's chopping onions. Maybe it's mincing garlic. Maybe it's cooking rice. Maybe it's chopping up salad. Like there are almost they're not not for everything, but there are shortcuts at the grocery store for a lot of things. And so if there is a thing that you really don't like doing, but you would really like to be able to eat it, look for an option at the store that you can buy. It might be a smidge more expensive, but if it is the thing that gets you over the hump of making the meal that you want, I would do it. Um, like if if you're more likely to eat a Caesar salad kit because you can simply dump the components into a bowl than buying romaine lettuce and letting it go bad in the fridge, like buy the salad kit because the extra dollar is not going to be thrown away. So I would think mm-hmm. about those things before you get to the point that you're making the meal. And then this is tricky because the the context in which this is going to be playing out is going to be very different. And for a lot of parents, the bandwidth at the end of the day is not uh, giant. And so mm-hmm. expecting yourself to have patience to help your toddler chop something is maybe not going to be the thing that you have every day, but it could be that you put the kids' bowls and cups and silverware in a low drawer that they can access by themselves. And you give them a job of picking out their things for the table. And like every night, that's the thing that they get to do. Or you might have like a learning tower or like a kitchen helper, like a safe stool where they could stand next to you. You could, I mean, for a long time when my son was little, I would have him at the kitchen counter with me playing uh, hmm. like with magnetiles or with cars, or sometimes I would set him up at the sink with like a sponge and a bowl hmm. and just like let him play in the sink while I was right with him so that we had that time together, but I was still able to sort of just like quickly do the thing I needed to do. And then if you have time and you want to involve them, like there are so many ways that you can have a little kid in the kitchen and that they can participate without it, like taking over the whole thing. Um, There are really great nylon kids knives that work pretty well for most things. Like they're not going to chop a carrot, but they're like, like my son used one last night and cut up um, lettuce for the burrito bowls. Um, Things like using a salad spinner, little kids really love because they get to like push and the thing spins. So that's a good one. Um, Like washing things or if you have like a whole head of broccoli, like breaking off the pieces is a good thing for a little kid to do. So you can think of it as like, what's one thing that might keep them occupied for a little bit of time while I sort of get the rest of it going? And then if you need to, like, just save it for the weekend and make that their screen time and like save your save your sort of mental load or physical load for like the energy that you have to just sort of get the meal on the table. Yeah, we had a, I loved it so much. We had a wavy cutter. You hold it like uh, with your whole hand. I'm like making this gesture. You guys can't, you know, you're listening. You just 
push it down with your whole hand. And um, and that was so such a great tool. I love yeah, that's a good one. That tool. Stay tuned for more Mindful Mama podcast right after this break. I want to tell you about a great podcast that you should check out, especially if you ever deal with any school system, which you probably do. It's called Understood Explains. This season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Ortube, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. And this season of Understood Explains covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP and busts common myths about special education. So I checked out the episode on the difference between IEPs and 504 plans because my daughter Maggie uses a 504 plan and it was really, really helpful. It went over all the differences, which one's better, how to get them, different myths and what your rights are, all kinds of different things that you should understand if your child may need extra help in education through an IEP or a 504 plan. The tone is super helpful, friendly, and smart. I highly recommend you check it out. To listen to Understood Explains, just search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's it. Understood Explains. Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory, two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And now we're back with a whole new podcast about unsticking it, launching in January. What happens when life gets in the way of our creativity instead of nourishing it? We talk to all sorts of guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. So join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Get out of there, life gunk. Let us help you get back to your best creative self. Look for Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Wherever you listen to podcasts starting in January, Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Because sometimes life sucks. Unsticking it. What do you think about like planning or rhythms or things like that? We had gotten, um, I really loved this idea from um, Kim John Payne who wrote Simplicity Parenting was like, so we had like Monday night was pizza night. Tuesday night was rice night. Wednesday night was pasta night. Thursday was soup night. Friday, uh, I forget. Sunday night was vegetarian. <laughs> so that was, we had that for years and years. Um, and it helped, I think it really helped them. They were like, okay, we'll get through rice night because pasta night is next. You know, right, like right, we can right. get there. You know what I mean? And yeah. they they would kind of complain less because they knew what to expect. And then for me, I would just be like, okay, what night is it? It's rice night. I'll just get some rice and then whatever else is going to be in this meal, I just build it around that. So it was Mm -hmm. actually kind of like pretty easy. What do you think about that kind of system or something for for when you have toddlers and small kids around? Yeah, it's great. I mean, it's like basically the way that daycares plan their menus where you see Mm. similar foods over the cycle of like six weeks so that you have a chance to build up familiarity with things and the kids sort of know what to expect and they learn what things are over time. Um, and just that routine of it can be really helpful. And it just like lessens the amount of decisions that you have to be making each week, which everybody loves. So, yeah. Yeah. 
Okay, let's go back to then we prepared the meal. Let's think about like serving it. What are some tips for how to serve that that one meal without complaints? Like one thing that may help is putting the food on the table rather than plating everyone's food for them so that kids can see what the options are and they can um, have a say in what winds up on their plate. Some kids don't respond well to having food on their plate that they don't want mm-hmm. or that they don't like. And so that can be a way that you're like just sort of avoiding that and it can help reduce food waste that way too. Things like dips or sauces or um, ways to add flavor can kind of help too because if a child knows that they've like got access to their ranch or they've got access to guacamole, that might make a whole list of other things appealing. So that can sort of like help them feel more comfortable with a range of other foods. Um, I think like as much as you can sit down with your family. Like there is this thing that happens a lot with moms in particular where everybody sits down and starts eating and then mom is still getting like five things and getting drinks. And I want like everyone to sort of know that the goal is for everyone to eat together. So if there's something that needs to happen, like invite someone to help and make them feel like they're sort of part of the part of the machine that like gets the the meal happening. And that can be the like that having that sort of power in um, being helpful like that can be very good for little kids who tend to like that sort of thing of feeling in charge. And then talk about other things like tell make sure everyone knows what the food is, but then talk about st- other stuff because that's where if you can take the focus off the plate, then you can connect with your child. So and it just makes it easier for everybody to eat if they don't feel like they're being watched. Yeah. Yeah. I could see that. Um, going back to the idea of like contributing to the meal, what kind of chores can little kids do to help for, with the meal and to be, be contributors? And what kind of jobs have you given your kids? Um, so like the helping to get their dishware. So we've always had their things like as accessible, like at like knee level so that they can get them themselves. Um, All of my kids now are to the point where they can open the fridge. So like condiments that we typically use are in a place where they can reach them so they could go like grab the ketchup if we need ketchup. We have a little uh, pitcher that has a lid on it so that it's like easy to pour without spilling it all over the place. So if I need some help making sure everyone has a drink, I'll just fill that up and put that on the table and then any of the kids can fill the cups. Um, they like can all clear off their plates either into the compost or into the trash can and put them in the sink. So sort of like the basic things we've like tried having them help sweep, but that's one's like a not, uh, that's not been delegated (laughs) to them yet because the, um, the efficiency are not good at it. Even if you have like a little one, it's like not, it's not helpful. (laughs) I know because then you'd kind of have to sweep up after them and then they'll see you sweeping up after them and then you're just like, but I don't want rodents in my kitchen. Right, right, right. (laughs) I could see how that would not work so well. Yeah. Okay, so thinking about like, um, just now thinking about, you know, there's a lot of advice on what to feed kids, what to avoid. You know, people are thinking about, you know, talk about avoiding gluten for behavior issues and ADHD. There's all kinds of like advice. 
you know, I was sort of focused on avoiding sugar. I was like, why am I going to give my young child sugar before the she knows it exists? Like, no, thank you, bank teller. Um, so what advice do you have for parents trying to feed their kids healthy foods? I think this is, again, like going to depend on sort of where you are with your relationship with food. I think when you are looking at eliminating food groups, I would try to name the reason why and the worry behind it, and then look at whether or not that's true, whether the information that you have gotten is from a reputable scientific source, and make sure that if you see it somewhere online, that you look at the full information so that you're not just looking at a headline because mm. headlines are designed to make you click on them. They are not always factually accurate. And there is a lot of fear mongering tied to um, revenue. So that would be one thing. Um, it is not, there are a lot of food allergies. There are a lot of food intolerances, but it is not rampant in the way that it often sounds like it is when you are anywhere on the internet. And the thing that we often forget is that our relationship with food and our anxiety and fear around food impact how all of those things play out and that there is a lot of um, correlation assigned with behavior where like my child eats this and there then this happens and it must be the food and we forget mm -hmm. to look at the context. So this is like a good example would be every time my, my toddler eats a cupcake, he gets so hyper. Well, what are the situations that he often has the cupcake? A birthday party, a holiday, right? Like they're not in their normal routine. They're excited. There's like people running around. They maybe didn't have their nap. Like we have to remember to look at what else is happening that might be a more rational explanation. There is like a real, um, a lot of damage can be done by demonizing foods, especially because Kids will go to school and their friends are going to eat all sorts of things. And we don't want the messaging that kids are giving to each other to be shaming with food because we never know what situation another child is going to be in. And so I want my kids to know that we eat a range of foods over the course of the week. Other families eat different foods and everyone likes different foods. So just because you don't like something doesn't mean that you have to like make sure everybody knows. Like you don't have to make anyone feel badly if they do like the food. Um, and I think that applies to adults also. There is a lot of like collective sort of like ganging up on foods that happen sometimes when you're together with adults. And I just think we never know what is happening with the people who are hearing us talk about foods in certain ways. And I just want everyone to be able to eat food and eat enough food and not have like debilitating anxiety about what the food might do because that is detrimental also. So I talk about food and think about food very differently from a lot of people who create recipes for kids or who like I am not, I do not start from the nutrition. I start mm -hmm. from does this taste good? Is this possibly something that a small child would enjoy eating from like a texture perspective from a flavor perspective? Is it easy for the parent to make? And also, does it provide nutrients that little kids need and that their parents might enjoy? Because we have to keep that, like the joy part of it in there or no one's going to eat anything. No one's going to eat it if it doesn't taste good. You can't 
sell a kid on like the nutrition profile of broccoli if it tastes terrible. Like, yeah. Not that broccoli tastes terrible, but like, you know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. you have to make sure that the experience of eating it is like enjoyable. Yeah, no, it absolutely has to taste good. I, yeah, I mean, speaking of broccoli like that, my uh, my children, I mean, we, I guess we roast broccoli, right? It's pretty simple, but it ends up so mm -hmm. good, right? When it's roasted mm -hmm. with plenty of like oil and salt, right? right? And their friends don't like broccoli or won't eat broccoli and, and things like that. And they're like, it's amazing. It's so good. And it's like, I think because it's like, we're just focused on it, making it taste as good as possible, you know? The first childcare provider that we used made roasted broccoli with Parmesan for the kids. And like, mm. they were all obsessed with it. Like, she always had to make like two pans because they just like <laughs> ate it all. But I think it was because it was like properly seasoned. It was properly cooked. Like, it tasted really good. Um, and everyone was eating it. Like, it was a communal experience. That's great. That's great. I love that. Well, this is so cool. All of this is so helpful. I really, really, really appreciate your very down to earth, very <laughs> open, accepting attitude. I also get a little frustrated with some of the fear mongering, especially for things with little kids. Everything is hard enough with little kids. Like, yeah. Let's just make things easier if we can. I think that I can, you know, what you're doing is, is doing that, it's making things easier. So I applaud you for that. Tell us all about your book. That people should be so excited about and where they can find out more of, you know, more yummy toddler foods than they could ever. Your kids are going <laughs> to 18 before you're going to run out of yummy toddler foods from Amy. Yeah, you can just make them for yourselves at that point. <laughs> um, OK, so the book is called Dinnertime SOS, and it is 100 recipes that are designed for kids and parents. Or if you don't have to have kids to enjoy them, they are accessible ingredients, like really minimal prep. I tried to use as many like inexpensive smart shortcuts as possible to help people just be able to get a meal on the table in those on those days when there's just low energy, but you still want everyone to eat um, like nutritious, yummy food. So there's a range of options. Like some of them you just have to dump into a slow cooker or an instant pot. Some of them you just assemble. Some of them you like pop under the broiler. So it's I just I want it to be a playbook for families to turn to when they know like I have 20 minutes I have I need to feed everyone like these recipes are vetted to work for me in that situation and they are as flexible as I could make them so a lot of my audience doesn't eat meat or has like a dairy intolerance so there's like substitutions and swaps so that if you can't find the thing that I recommend or you just are not in the mood for it, there is like always an option for you to switch it so that it's also sort of teaching you how to be a little bit intuitive when you're using recipes and make adjustments for yourself. So that's sort of that's sort of it. And then throughout there are like sort of all the stuff we talked about, about making meals more enjoyable and reducing food waste and stocking your pantry that those are all like the surrounding materials for the recipes. And then whenever you need to find me, I am everywhere at Yummy Toddler Food. So my website is yummytoddlerfood.com. And then social media is all Yummy Toddler Food. I love it. So you can <laughs> follow Yummy Toddler Food on Instagram. And instead of feeling shamed for, for not having a perfect house, you can, <laughs> yeah. you, can, you can have a good practical meal on your table. I really like very practical things. So I love this. Amy, it has been such a pleasure to talk to you and meet you. 
thank you so much for doing the work you do, for taking the brave leap away from what you're doing and, and doing it for the world and, um, and for coming on Mindful Mama podcast. Thank you for having me. Hey, I hope you loved this episode. If you did, please let me know. Let me and Amy know. Um, on Instagram, I'm at Mindful Mama Mentor, and she's at Yummy Toddler Food. So tag us and let us know what you think. And hey, I want to give a shout out to the Apple Podcast reviews. Hey, that makes such a big, big difference. So I want to give a shout out to Nicole VN, who gave a five-star review and wrote very mind-opening this is great. I started listening to the podcast after I read the book. My fuse is not as short and I take the time to calm down before reacting. I notice how it has been affecting my children too. Yay! It's so amazing to hear. I love that and my team loves that. Thank you. Thank you so much. Those reviews make a huge difference. It just helps that algorithm show the podcast to more people and that's what we want to change the world and make things better for families everywhere. So please, please, please leave a review. Hey, you know, now that you listen to this, it's September and I hope that get it if you're getting back to school and all that busyness and everything, I hope it's all going okay for you. We're working through it here in my family and I I know you are too. So I wish us all some peace and and less stress and all that as we move through this transition. If you uh, are in the maybe the Northern Hemisphere. And, um, and yeah, let's all, let's all practice. Let's practice being peace we want to be. Let's practice, you know, giving ourselves rest and time to have ease and all of those things. So I'll be practicing that, I hope, as the time comes when you listen to this. And I hope you will too. Let's do it together. We can do it. And it'll be all the better for our families as we give ourselves or little pockets and moments of peace and ease. So wishing that for you. I hope you have a lovely week. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. Namaste. I'd say definitely do it. It's really helpful. It will change your relationship with your kids for the better. It will help you communicate better. And just, I'd say communicate better as a person, as a wife, as a spouse. It's been really a positive influence in our lives. So definitely do it. I'd say definitely do it. It's so worth it. The money really is inconsequential when you get so much benefit from being a better parent to your children and feeling like you're connecting more with them and not feeling like you're yelling all the time or you're like, why isn't things working? I would say definitely do it. It's so, so worth it. It'll change you. No matter what age someone's child is, it's a great opportunity for personal growth and it's a great investment in someone's family. I'm very thankful I had this. You can continue in your old habits that aren't working or you can learn some new tools and gain some perspective to shift everything in your parenting. Are you frustrated by parenting? Do you listen to the experts and try all the tips and strategies, but you're just not seeing the results that you want? Or are you lost as to where to start? Does it all seem so overwhelming with too much to learn? Are you yearning for a community of people who get it? 
also don't want to threaten and punish to create cooperation? Hi, I'm Hunter Clark-Fields, and if you answered yes to any of these questions, I want you to seriously consider the Mindful Parenting membership. You'll be joining hundreds of members who have discovered the path of mindful parenting and now have confidence and clarity in their parenting. This isn't just another parenting class. This is an opportunity to really discover your unique, lasting relationship, not only with your children, but with yourself. It will translate into lasting, connected relationships, not only with your children, but your partner too. Let me change your life. Go to mindfulparentingcourse.com to add your name to the waitlist, so you will be the first to be notified when I open the membership for enrollment. I look forward to seeing you on the inside mindfulparentingcourse.com. Feel like you're the martyr in your family? You're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Brie. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Brie, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, we can help you become a No Guilt Mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model. So that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt free. Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the No Guilt Mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows.